0: We are able, help us to sing over our lives, to sing over this world of the goodness of God. Lord, that through every step, whatever pain, whatever sadness, whatever loss, whatever hardship it might bring, Lord, that we can see your faithfulness, that we can see your goodness, Lord, that we would dare. To spread your word lord that we would dare to sow seeds of faith in the world around us lord despite all of this lord because we know the goodness of god we know what jesus has done we know that there is a heavenly reward lord that you are going to make all things new and you love to involve us in all of this in your name amen Please have a seat. Thinking about an investment and the return on an investment made me look at the UK pension fund pot. So according to the Office of National Statistics, as of the end of the financial year 2022, the total assets of the pension funds was 3.1 trillion pounds. So, there is a million millions in a trillion. So that is three one zero 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 pounds. That we as a nation have stored away, we've put away into pension funds for their managers to put to work and to keep safe until we can claim it. And if you're young and you don't have a pension yet, it's probably a good idea at some point when you do start working that, 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 that you do get one. Uh, so whatever we might say later, having a pension is a good idea. So what do we want to happen to this money whilst it's stored away? Well, we want it to be put to work. We want it to hopefully grow, maybe to grow above inflation Maybe for it to be in good businesses, which are worthwhile. We certainly want it to be safe and secure for when we want it. The psalmist who's returned from exile in Psalm 126 back to Jerusalem, talks about investing and reaping and returning the investment in terms of sowing and harvesting. And in Psalm 126, verse 4, they write, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams of the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And here we see how the psalmist cries out to God to change their situation, to change their fortunes, that as they sow and rebuild Jerusalem, That they might reap a return in the harvest with shouts and joy. That their current situation of a ruined city, a ruined nation, would not be the end. But that through God's restoring power, they would see it grow. And they would have joy in the future. I don't know if any of us are gardeners or even more importantly farmers, But um, I know about a year ago, I stood in this desolate wasteland, which was my new garden. It was just covered in stones. And I was like, How will these grass seeds ever grow here? And you picked up one stone, and there was another stone. And it just felt endless. And even more so if you were a farmer in ancient Israel and you were sowing your seed, and it just seemed desolate, like a wasteland, like nothing would grow. And this was what you would be eating from in the coming year. How much more would the tears have come? How much pain and anguish would that have brought? So that brings us to this parable of the ten miners, which comes straight after Jesus has met Zacchaeus. And after Jesus has said he has come to seek and to save the lost. And we have seen Zacchaeus restored back to God's people. This outcast of society, this undesirable, restored back to the fold of God, restored relationship with God. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem from Jericho. But immediately after speaking with Zacchaeus, he goes on to tell this parable. And the first verse gives us a clue as to the meaning of the story. Because it says people thought that the kingdom of God would appear at once. There must have been a real palpable sense of excitement amongst Jesus' followers that this was it. God was going to make all things new through Jesus. He was going to bring about God's kingdom and he was going to bring it about soon. Yet Jesus goes on to tell this parable and it starts off this way. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So the man of noble birth, the king to be, is going away to become king and then return. And, and the phrase where it talks about a man uh, in this way is, 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 is commonly used throughout Luke to describe a story about Jesus. So we can understand this noble man, this person to be king is Jesus. Jesus is telling a story about him. Now the idea of going away to become a king would have been a common one for people living in ancient Jerusalem and Jericho and that whole Palestine area. Because the Romans were occupying that area. They were ruling that and they set it up as a state and a number of kings would have gone to Rome to be crowned king over that area in that time. Herod the Great, Archelius, Antipas, they'd all gone to Rome to be crowned king. So this was a common idea. You go away to become king, and then you come back. Now, some of these kings were opposed by their people. They were of bad character. They were unpopular. People even sent delegations after one of those kings, to try and stop him from becoming king. However, the nobleman described in this story, the Greek word suggests that they were of both noble status and noble character. So there was certainly no reason for the people to rebel against them. And also, the long and distant travel to this other country also indicates that their return would not be soon. So, when we think of this in relation to Jesus, he is suggesting that he will go far away to heaven to be crowned king and that he will not be returning soon. And this return, when he comes back again, will be the second coming. Now, the nobleman gives the ten servants each a minor to put to work, he says, until he returns. A minor was no fortune like a talent was in other stories that he tells, but it was probably roughly a hundred days' wages. So we could call it maybe £10,000 in today's world. This was a modest sum. They weren't rich. They weren't, this wasn't a kind of massive spending spree that they could go on completely. Likewise, Jesus does not leave a church with, with things that impress or blow the world away. He gives us gifts, but it is not something that completely blows the world away through the things that he has given to us. But it is an important amount to try and test us to see how we put it to work. Notice that he doesn't say, make a profit at any cost, but he says, put it into work. That is, be active, make use of it, make the most of it. So he is interested in if we are acting on the callings and the gifts that we as a church and as individuals have received. Not necessarily on the pure yield and outcome. He didn't say, make me the biggest profit possible. He said, put it to work put it to work. But once a nobleman has left, there is revolt. There's no sign that the ruler deserved this. Yet, they even send people after him to try and stop him from becoming king. It made me almost think about one of our ex-prime minister's honors list. People have now gone after these people to try and stop them from receiving their honors and peerages because they don't think, in their opinion, that they're of a character to receive it. But, We don't see that in this parable here, that the nobleman doesn't have the character to become a king. And for us, we are living in this time when Jesus has left to become king in heaven and his return is awaited. The king Jesus is away and he has left his servants, Christians, to go about his work. And Jesus' followers are referred to as servants in verse 13. But those who rebel against him are described more in the Greek word which comes across as citizens. And citizens have rights and they have more power and they have status. Whereas Jesus' servants do not have these things. And this in a way is showing that imbalance that we might feel that sometimes We are on the back foot that we as Christians have less rights. And the people of the world say, we don't want this man to be our king. And they revolt. And how often do we see that in today's world? They say, we don't want Jesus to be king. We want to be king of our own lives. We want to be the ruler of our lives and our world. And that's one of the big stories of our world at the moment. And this rejection of Jesus' reign was soon to be started to be fulfilled as he goes to the Jerusalem and the Jewish elite reject him at the Sanhedrin and they would turn against him and eventually send him to the cross. Yet Jesus will return as king. And here, when the nobleman returns, he wants to find out what has been gained from his money. And we see two of the servants have made big returns with their entrusted money, from a 500% increase to 1,000% growth. Imagine if your pension pot did that. That's better than compound interest right there. And in Luke 8, we see Jesus tell another story about incredible return, where the sower is going out and sowing the seed across the soil. And he says, this seed is the word of God. And this sower is taking the word of God and spreading it. And in some areas, it falls on rocky soil and it doesn't grow or it's stifled. But in other areas, it falls on good soil and it grows a hundredfold and a massive harvest is reaped from God's word. The point here is not that the sower was particularly good, sower of seeds or that this servant was a particularly canny or had an incredibly good business sense. But more of a spiritual point, that when we sow in faith using our gifts that God has given us, we could not possibly imagine the return that God will bring back through it. Both of these servants receive a reward. Well done, my good servant his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of 10 cities. Now, these rewards for fruitful and faithful work in God's kingdom are completely outrageous. You know, they've turned, they've been given, you know, 10,000 pounds or so to look after. And now he's saying, well, you've done a good job with that. You have 10 cities it's not—it's not proportional, uh, other than the one-to-one ratio at all. It's—it's it's a massive, gigantic leap in responsibility. Now, this isn't to say that um, you—they're going to have these—you, God's not promising us kind of a decadent lifestyle here. He's giving us more responsibility. And it's not to say that the person who's in charge of 10 cities compared to five has more work. So actually, oh, we should say, oh, actually, we don't want to work too hard right now in this world because actually we might end up with more work in the future. I'd rather have half the workload of five cities than the 10. That's, that's not, not the, the, the points of this. The point is, is that they're getting a greater responsibility and a greater partnership in God and his future kingdom. Next up is the other servant. And the fact that we have these two servants who have used their gifts that God has given them, and this other servant, suggests that there's only really two types of servants. There's the ones that use what God has given them, and there are the ones that don't. Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. So he has purposefully hidden it away directly disobeying the command he had been given to put it to work. And then he's putting it across like it's some great thing that he has done for his master. Look, I've kept it exactly as you left it with me. It's safe. It's exactly how you gave it to me. And then he goes on to say, oh, I know you're a hard man. I'm afraid of you because you take what you did not sow or what you did not have. Now, the king, he doesn't bother to defend himself and argue back with the servant, but points out the obvious, that he's effectively received back less than what he has given, because he's not even received interest on the money that he gave him. And the servant's purposeful disobedience and the cheek of his accusation shows how he does not know the master well. And there's no sign in this story that the master deserved or was truly represented by that servant and that his findings were true. There's no evidence of that at all. So, what this servant has is given to the one who has 10. But he's punished no further. And the fact that his one minor went to the servant who has 10 minors seems outrageous. They say, sir, he already has 10 minors. What's another minor to him? Well, he's also in charge of 10 cities, so that extra amount's not even much to him. But he's saying, I'm going to lavish my grace. I'm going to lavish my gifts on those who serve me. Because this is grace. He doesn't deserve that minor, but he's going to be given it. And he goes on in verse 27. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here, and kill them in front of me. And this is a shocking end to the treacherous subjects who rebelled against the king. And Jesus uses this to point towards the final judgment for for those who live in rebellion to the invitation he offers. And he uses this graphic way to shock his audience, to grab their attention. He says... It is imperative, it is critical that you make a decision, that you make a response to my coming kingdom. Are you going to want me to be your king? You must decide. So we have seen through this parable how Jesus equips his church with average gifts to be used in his absence that when faithfully used will bring about an astounding return beyond anything we could expect despite the adversity of the world around us. And this growth is because of God's action through what we do, his Holy Spirit in us. His rewards to his servants will be lavish and so far beyond anything that the actions we have done would warrant and we will get a greater responsibility in his work. But there will be a final judgment on all those who rebelled against him and have said, I do not want Jesus to be my king. So, what does it mean to put the the work, the gifts, what does it mean to work the gifts God has given us? So, in John 15, verses 9 to 11, he writes, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus is saying here, abide in my love. God has given us his love. And with his love in us, and with his Holy Spirit in us, We all as believers have all that we need. So we are to abide in, to accept his love, to allow it to permeate every aspect of us. We are not to keep this to ourselves, but stepping out in faith, we're to let our light shine to others that it would glorify God. And Jesus used the example earlier of the sower spreading the seed, with that seed being the word of God and we are to spread his word. And like the sower in the psalm, we may be going out in tears. Tears of frustration, tears of love, tears for the broken, tears for the ones who don't know Jesus. And we can feel that we are in a spiritual wasteland. Everything might seem inhospitable to his word the illness, the financial worries, the anxiety, the loneliness, the hopelessness of a lost society that says, I will do it my way. I will be ruler of my life. But Jesus says, abide in me, abide in my love and show the world my light. The response that we see from our actions here. And what we see, the fruit that we see from that work, is not how we are ultimately judged by God. It is not a results business. What God cares about is that we are looking to please him, that we are walking in step with his spirit, that we are walking in step with his word and serving him faithfully. We are told to go and to spread the seed of his good news seed of his word in the world around us. And we might just see flashes of encouragement, signs of growth and response at times. But we might go through long periods of time where we see little growth, little response in this world. But it's as we continue to do these humble, small actions of faith, trusting in what God has given us, that he will eventually return an amazing harvest. And sometimes I think about it as like a family tree of faith. So I think about who told me about Jesus and who told them about Jesus and who told them about Jesus, Jesus, who told them about Jesus until you go back hundreds and hundreds of years of faith, seeing person after person who has been influenced and changed by different people over time by their faithful and small actions of faith throughout history. And we can think, what is God doing through us? What small faithful actions are we taking every day to follow him and to trust in him? And we might just see glimpses of the result of those works. And God might give glimpses of encouragement to us to keep us going. But ultimately, it'll be in heaven when we are astounded by the harvest that he has brought about through what we have done following him. It won't just be a case of compound interest, of incremental growth that our pension pot might receive. It won't just be that what we have given to God has been stored up and kept the same. It'll be astounding. It'll be beyond what we could imagine that God, as he takes the small thing that we offer to him, will turn it and grow it by a thousandfold beyond what we could ever expect. So can we say, Lord, give me your heart that I would be filled with tears of love for those who don't know you. Send me out. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to spread your word. Help me to abide in you, to abide in your love, to accept your love, that I might hear those shouts of joy as we bring in that heavenly harvest. Because Jesus, as he said to Zacchaeus, has come to seek and to save the lost and he wants to involve us in doing that. So what if we reject this heavenly king? What if we reject Jesus. What if we say that this king is no king of mine? And we see the king here kill those who rebel against him. Well, if we say, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to be king of my life, then Jesus might say back to you, I will judge you by your own words. See how far your work might take you, because the hardship will come, death will come for all of us eventually, the dementia will come, the cancer will come, the loss, the bereavement, the support structures will crumble, the financial hardship will come, the pension fund will collapse, and our work that we have achieved here will not take us through into the next life, we won't be able to take it with us and God's justice will fall, and we will have no response, no defense, no answer to our rebellion against Jesus. And no amount of good works can meet his standard, because God is the just God. But Jesus now says, choose mercy, you have a choice. Choose me before it is too late. Do not build your house on the sand of this world, but build it on the rock of God's word, because only that will not be washed away. Only that will hold you true. And he says that I am the good king. And Jesus lays down his life as king for his subjects. He lays it down. He says, this is grace. And the acronym I heard for grace was God's riches at Christ's expense. He says, I lay down my life for you that you might have these riches. Do you accept me as your king? I stand at the door and knock. Let me be king over your life. Receive the riches that I have paid for for you. So do you accept this gift to you? Do you accept Jesus' kingship? Do you accept his work on the cross that brings newness of life? And he is better than any pension fund. He is more trustworthy than any income protection. This is not compound interest. This is grace. This is God's magnificent and lavish grace which is poured out for us and jesus he so wants you to know he so wants you to know right now that that is what he is offering you so that is the choice for some of you today but others of us our choice is this are we going to use the gifts that god has given us today for his kingdom and for his glory Are you going to go all in for following him? Are you going to abide in his love? Are you going to sow the word of God in tears today in the hope and certainty of that joyful eternal harvest? Because today some of us need to go up and dig up that miner because the actions that we have done in the past are not what need to define us. We can use our gifts for God today. And God will so gladly accept that. And there is a prayer that all of us can pray today that says, Lord, use me for the utmost, for your glory, for your kingdom. Use me, I'm humble and weak, but I know with you I am strong. Use me for your glory, use me for your kingdom. I and yours, And despite the waves and the storms and the fears of this world and the rocky and hard soil that we might feel surround us, God will most certainly use you and bring about an astounding and amazing harvest if we true choose to trust him, if we choose to invest in Jesus and accept him as king. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we come before you now, the King enthroned in heaven, with the Father watching down on us, and with your Holy Spirit here with us now. O Lord, help us to know your presence among us. Lord, for some of us today, we've been living in rebellion to you, the good king. And we need to turn to you today. Lord, even now, for the first time, for the hundredth time, some of us need to declare that Jesus, you are my king. You are my king. I accept you. I accept your rule over my life. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your grace. Lord, lavish upon me your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, you're the good God and you have done that. Even now, you have done that. Those sins, those things of the past are gone. They're gone completely because of your grace, because it is amazing. And Lord, for some of us today, we need to step into new life, of grace. We need to dig up those gifts that you have given us, Lord, those gifts that we have hidden away, and we need to raise them up and to let them be that light that shines on the hill and shows the world who you are and your glory, Lord. So, Lord, we pray, God, that you would use us for your glory for your kingdom, however that might look, however humble and simple those actions might be, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, give us new gifts of your Holy Spirit today gifts of prophecy, gifts of kindness, gifts of administration, gifts of gentleness, of truth speaking, Lord, of teaching, of healing of speaking those special words which bring restoration to people's lives, God. Oh Lord, would you use us. Lord, would we be people who so clearly have abided in your love, that we are overflowing with your love and with your joy, God. That even as we go out into this city, into this area, into this nation with tears, God, that we know that there will be a certain heavenly harvest, Lord, and that you will amplify and multiply beyond anything that we could expect. And it is all for your glory and for your name's sake that we ask that you would do this. And we trust in you, Lord, to see us through and to sustain us and to hold us now and for all time. Amen.